You're tuned in to The Todd Coconado Show, otherwise known as The Remnant, one of the most listened to podcasts in the Christian community. You can visit our website, toddcoconado.com, and now broadcasting live around the world from Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee, here's the host of the show, Pastor Todd Coconado. What is the sin that leads to death? What is the sin that doesn't lead to death? I thought all sin led to death, right? Well, we're going to get into this very important theological discussion this morning from a actually a question that somebody sent me and I love to answer theological questions to the best of my ability about 1 John 5 16 through 17 and uh, let's read that 1 John so if you got your Bible 1 John 5 16 through 17 says this if anyone sees his brother sinning if the sin is not deadly he should pray to God and he will give him life this is, the, this is only for those whose sin is not deadly. There is such a thing as a deadly sin about which I do not say that you should pray. Okay, what does this mean? People are confused about this, and rightfully so. It's, a, it's kind of a confusing subject matter. So what is the sin that leads to death? So I'm going to venture to answer this question in summary form and then drop back and give the foundations for it and the context from 1 John and then the wider New Testament teaching. So my answer on the short is that the sin that does not lead to death, that is eternal death or damnation, which is what I think John means, is any sin that we commit that we are, by grace, capable of truly confessing and repenting from. I think it's any sin. So the reason I put it like that is because of what First John I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 1 John 1, 9 says, and what Hebrews 12, 16 says. So 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he doesn't specifically uh, say any kind of sin. You know, he just says, if we confess our sins, he says, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's a blanket kind of sweeping and glorious and wonderful, precious promise of God that if you confess your sin authentically, agree with God that it is a sin, you know, that that sinks in, right? You got to agree, hey, this is a sin. And then uh, you hate it, you turn from it, you fight against it, you'll be forgiven. That's repentance. It's turning away from sin. So any sin we commit that we are by grace capable of truly confessing and repenting from does not lead to death. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. The wages of sin are death. So people say, well, what does that mean? It could mean a physical death. If you if you have a sin, let's say, where you're in, involved in an addiction, you know, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and you can't get rid of that sin and you keep doing it, you could end up dying from that sin. Uh, gluttony, for instance, you have horrible eating habits and you just eat really, really bad. You don't take care of your body. You don't take care of the temple. And eventually you develop a debilitating disease and uh, you die from that. that. The wages of that sin could be death. But any sin has a spiritual death aspect attached to it. So in other words, if you keep sinning, if you're watching pornography and you just keep doing it, you know it's wrong, and you just keep doing it, and you know, you're, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing uh, sexually, or you're doing things you shouldn't be doing um, you know, with money, you know, you're, you're doing illegal things, um, you know, you're lying on a regular basis about things. All these things lead to spiritual death. Okay, you're abusing your spouse, abusing your kids. You know, like I said, addictions, 
um, all of these things, whatever the sin is, and I've I've come to find that, especially if you are in a leadership position, but you if you, you better be consecrated, because the devil will use any open door. I mean, look what's going on up in Kansas City right now. What a disaster! And I'm going to talk about that soon. Uh, but you know, very very sad situation. There's no winners. There's no winners there, and that's because there was a hidden sin, and what's been done in darkness is coming to light. You better believe there is many opportunities to get that thing right. So uh, no repentance that really occurred, uh, a repetitive sin that kept you know happening over the years, and uh, now a very, very cataclysmic situation for that ministry, and I'm praying for everybody involved because it's just horrible. Like I said, no winners, and I'll talk a little bit more about that maybe in the future, but you know, I never rejoice when I see something horrible happen in the body of Christ. That's awful on every level. And the whole thing is any sin that we commit, by grace, we're capable of confessing and repenting, and that's not going to lead to death, but you got to repent. That's why I talk about repentance so much. Now, here's another thing about sin. Just because you repent and you're forgiven by God doesn't mean that you're not going to have to pay a price for that sin. Again, the wages of sin are death. There's a price. Sin has a price. Now, thank God Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross. That's for our ability to be saved so that we can live eternally in him. So that's why with our free will on this earth, we have the opportunity with our free will to turn from our sin and to repent. And the Lord, under his blood, we're forgiven. Our sins are washed away and thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Hallelujah. And then, you know, you walk in, in a whole new life. You're, you're born again, right? However, Hebrews 12, 16 through 17 when talking about Esau and what happened to him, says, see that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a, sin, a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So when it says he sought it, it means he sought repentance. He couldn't find it. He was no longer capable of repenting. It's not that he repented and repented and cried over his repentance and God wouldn't forgive him. No, no, no. He could not repent. He had sinned to a depth or a degree that God had given up on him. That's a pretty scary statement. So that's what I think Jesus meant by the unforgivable sin. And of course, I also think blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. That's basically what, what, what happened there. You, you, you run from God. You turn away from God. You just close your heart off. I mean, I think of like you Hefner. Good example, right? You Hefner. Here was a guy that at any point could have repented. This, this was the guy that founded Playboy. Remember him? You know, he thought he was living this great glamorous life with all these Playboy, what they call them, bunnies or something. But this man was in, in horrible sin, horrible, horrible sin for years and years. He became an icon of sin. And so he had gotten to the point where his heart was so hard, his heart was so hard, he, he, he didn't even give the, the um, you know, there's no chance in his heart that he even wanted to turn to God. I mean, why? Why would you not? So it's, it's um, I don't understand those types of things. Some people get into such darkness that they've sold their soul to the devil, and that's it. And, and they're, they're so dark and so lost, and their mind has been given over to a reprobate, basically. 
you know, or they're just, they're just, so that's kind of what, what they're saying about Esau. It's not that he couldn't have repented. So when, it, when he says, it, you know, he sought repentance, he couldn't find it. He was no longer capable of repenting. It's not that he repented and repented and cried over his repentance and God wouldn't forgive him. So there, there's the unforgive. What is the unforgivable sin? Well, we can get into that. And that's a, a long discussion, but let me just say it like in a nutshell here. So the concept of the unforgivable sin in the Bible, or it's referred to as the unforgivable sin, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And this term comes from passages in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Matthew, where it's Matthew 12, 31 through 32, also Mark uh, 3, 28 through 29, and Luke 12, 10. And while the wording varies slightly in these passages, the meaning is pretty much the same. And so blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is understood as a deliberate and willingful rejection or denial of the work of the Holy Spirit and attributing it to evil or demonic forces. It's considered a sin that cannot be forgiven. And this concept has been a topic of theological debate and interpretation over the centuries. But the idea behind this teaching is that if someone knowingly and persistently rejects the Holy Spirit, blasphemes the Holy Spirit. They have closed themselves off from the source of forgiveness and salvation. However, it's important to note again that there are some different interpretations on this and they can vary among the different denominations. But that is what I have always been taught and what I agree according to the scriptures in Matthew 12, 31 through 32, Mark 3, 28 through 29, and Luke 12, 10, is that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, now let me read this again though. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is understood as a deliberate and willingful rejection or denial of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, when, when you basically deny the work of the Holy Spirit, you, you give yourself to the devil, like I mentioned, you Hefner and his lifestyle, uh, and Esau. And so that's why we, we, I gave you that, that, uh, uh, that explanation there, Esau, because that's basically what happened there. So again, just to summarize this, what's the sin that does not lead to death? Well, it's any sin, any sin that we are still, by grace, able to authentically truly humble, humbly confess and repent from. That sin is not going to lead to death. Now, John had a balancing act. Okay, let's, let's look at the other side of this. Uh, the context, because it really helps to see uh, this question that I was asked referring to how it fits in the larger theme of 1 John. So 1 John 5, 16 begins like this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, so I would translate committing a sin as committing a sin. Okay, because if you say a sin, it sounds like there's a specific one in mind, but there is no Greek word a. So there's no indefinite article in Greek for a. So you have to decide contextually whether you add it or not. And here I probably wouldn't add it. So let me translate it this way. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death, that is. So there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We need to make sure here that we see these two verses as part of a larger balancing act that John is doing in this letter. On the one hand, there's a strong emphasis in 1 John that those who are truly born of God don't go on sinning. That's 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So that's, that's why we repent. We turn from sin. Here's the deal. On the other hand, there's one side of the balance, right? John warns against misunderstanding that in a perfectionist way, 
as though Christians don't sin anymore. So I've actually met people who say that. And John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Mm. Does that make sense? So, so it's, it's a balancing act. Okay, I'm going to read it again because you might not have got it. John warns against misunderstanding that in a perfectionist way, as, as though Christians don't sin anymore. So I've met people that have said this. I've heard preachers that have said this, that they don't sin anymore. John says, if we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why some of the heresy hunting online is a little over the top because if you're going to look for something in anybody's life, including mine, you're going to find it. The deal is, what's the state of their heart? Are they, a, are they a good repenter? Are they somebody that's continually indulging in some sinful act? Are they somebody who is fighting with all their strength to live in a, in a righteous manner, but they still fall sometimes? See, there's a difference. So we're changed, but we're not perfect. On one side, you don't keep on sinning if you're born again. On the other side, you don't ever stop sinning in this world. So in other words, John is trying to strike a balance between the absolute necessity of new birth, which necessarily gives a significant measure of victory over sin. That's the one side. On the other hand, there's the reality that we do, in fact, as Christians commit sins, and we cannot uh, find uh, ever to be perfect, but we can find forgiveness as we confess them. So if you confess your sin, hate it, turn from it, and fight against it, you will be forgiven. That's the balance you find in 1 John 5, 16 through 17. So 16, verse 16, begins with, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. In the other words, yes, there is such a thing as a Christian sinning and not being damned for it. So then verse 17 ends like this, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So John's striking the note firmly that we should not take anything he has said in a perfectionist type of way that implies Christians don't sin or that all sin leads to damnation because it doesn't. So that so the battle in this life, okay, the battle in this life is for us as believers, we're not going to attain perfection, but what we are going to do is stand for righteousness. So when I say consecrate, come out from among them, does that mean that I've found a perfection in my walk? No. I, I am a flawed individual. I make mistakes. I have to repent of things that I do. Sometimes I get angry. I, I am a human, and I have to die to my flesh daily. And so do you. So none of us have, have, have attained a state of perfection. But the deal is, here's the two, this is the difference that you have to understand, okay? And I'm going I'm to just use an example here, Okay. God has specifically told you to stop smoking weed. He specifically said, stop smoking weed, son. Stop smoking weed, daughter. I'm just giving you an example. You know weed is bad, and yet every day of your life you smoke it, and every day you say, I'm so sorry, Lord, but you keep doing it. You keep doing it, and you keep doing it. And the Lord said, hey, stop doing that. Now, God, I call it a mercy umbrella. God gives you mercy for a season because, you know, you're fighting and you're trying 
But eventually, you're going to have to account for that sin as a believer, okay? Because you have an open door. And so what's going to happen is if you don't stop that repetitive sin that you know is wrong, that you've repented of a million times, and you keep doing, eventually God allows you to pay the consequence for that. And it's not because he didn't die on the cross for you and, and wash away your sins. It's because you've left an open door in your life. And honestly, you're not, you're not following his word. So we as believers are tasked with a very difficult, challenging thing, but it's totally doable. Is when you have an area like that, we've got to go to the Holy Spirit and we've got to say, Holy Spirit, I can't stop this on my own strength. I need your strength. And then when we have the feeling like, okay, it's whenever, seven o'clock at night, time for me to smoke weed. I'm just giving an example here. You, you go to God and you say, God, I'm, I'm being tempted right now. But instead of doing that sin, because I know it's going to open a door in my life, I'm asking you to give me the strength to stop it. And he will. So, so this is what I feel like, and this is anything, lust of the flesh, um, anything that you're doing, you're never going to be perfect. And so don't hold yourself to a standard of perfection. But the open doors are where the enemy comes in in our life. You see what I'm saying? And so when we continually are engaging in something that we as believers know is wrong, like some of these people that have gotten caught, by the way, I mentioned Kansas City earlier. You know, eventually that sin is going to come out to get you. And so God is giving us, especially in this very important hour that we're in. Now, look, it's hard, okay? Whatever your vice is or almost every person's got an area where, where they know they shouldn't be doing something. You're watching R-rated movies. You're gossiping. You're, like I said, you're overeating. You're, you're, you're involved in gluttony. Um, you know, you're angry. You're, un, you're, you're unforgiving of somebody. You know, we're human. So we got to die to our flesh daily. That's where we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to forgive this person. I want to truly forgive them. Holy Spirit, give me the strength not to be angry at my spouse today. Give me the strength to love them with your love. I mean, we need to ask the Holy We got to depend, total reliance. Remember when I preached about recently coming to the end of ourself? This is it. And this is difficult. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not easy stuff, Okay. If you think that every person alive doesn't battle with some form of this, some people are just better hiding it than others. You know, I mean, there's, there's horrible vices. I mean, that's why you're hearing all these scandals all the time because they can't give up their vice. And, and you should not be in leadership if you're in one. I mean, God is not going to tolerate this type of nonsense, especially in the church. And this is why leadership isn't for everybody because every, all these people want to be a leader these days. The problem is that you're a leader, you're held to even higher standard. But this is every Christian. If we have an area of open door, the, the Lord will give you mercy for a season, especially if you're a newer believer. I've seen it over and over again, but eventually that sin comes to get you. That's what it means when it says the wages of sin are death. And that's what the scripture is saying. So there's a precious promise. Christians, we do sin. And not all sin leads to damnation. But right there in the middle, verse 16, near the end of the verse, he puts a disclaimer. He says, when I tell you to pray for sinners, I recognize that Jesus taught about the unforgivable sin. And I recognize that Hebrews taught about Esau. And I do acknowledge that there is a sin that leads to death and damnation. It puts you beyond repentance. And I'm not talking about that. There's the point of that verse. I'm not talking about when I tell you to pray for those who have sinned. 
He doesn't tell us not to pray for such sin. He simply says, that's not what I'm talking about when I tell you to pray for sinners that God will give them life. So to state my answer to this question one more time, what is the sin that does not lead to death? The sin that does not lead to death and damnation is any sin that we commit that by God's grace we are capable of truly confessing and repenting from. And I get that on 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So 1 John 1, 9 is a very, very precious promise. So in a nutshell, okay, let me try to land this plane here because this is a very difficult theological question. And I hope that my explanation today has shed some light on this. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin. Okay, we've gone through what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to some extent, and I can do a larger, you know, longer broadcast on that at some point, but don't blaspheme God. What is blaspheming God? What does that mean? So in Christian theology, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit means to knowingly and willing, willfully reject or speak against the work and influence of the Holy Spirit in a way that denies the Holy Spirit's divine nature and attributes to Instead, you're, 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 you're attributing it to evil or demonic forces. This is typically seen as a severe form of spiritual rebellion and unbelief. The concept is based on the passages in the New Testament in Matthew 12, 31 through 32, where Jesus warns about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, saying that such a sin will not be forgiven, neither in this age nor in the age to come. And in this context, Jesus was responding to religious leaders who attributed his miraculous works, which were performed by the power of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Does that make sense? So if you attribute what God is doing to the devil, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's unforgivable. So essentially what it means is if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's considered unforgivable because it involves a persistent and deliberate rejection of God's grace and truth, making it impossible for the individual to accept salvation. And so it's important to note that, again, there's different people have different views on this. But that is essentially what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. So, basically, any sin in your life, other than blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, so if you're not attributing what God's done in your life to the devil and to the demonic, you know, that would be like me saying when I got stabbed nine times, the devil saved me, he spared my life. No, he did not, by the way. You see what I'm saying? I got stabbed nine times, and God spared my life, and he gave me a second chance. And he said, do you want to live or do you want to die? I said, I want to live. He says, well, if you live, you got to be sold out for me, you know, on fire for me for the rest of your life. You got to tell people I'm real. So that's what I do. That's why people say, why do you do these podcasts? Do you want to be famous? Do you want to have a lot of followers? No, I'm doing it because I'm on mission for the Lord. The Lord asked me to do this when he spared my life. Now, I would have been blaspheming the Holy Spirit if I would have said, the Lord did not spare my life. Guess who spared my life? The devil. I don't even want to say that. So, so gross and disgusting. Makes me want to throw up. But that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, does that make sense? Attributing the work of God and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, to the devil. That's blasphemy. Uh, having the ability to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but denying. Denying and instead becoming a Satanist. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Unforgivable. But every sin that we just talked about today, again, and there's the balancing act because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're going to, you know, we're going to sin probably every day of our life. You sin, I sin, but we're not living in repetitive sin. And that's why it's not the sin that leads to death. So, so if we were living in the repetitive sin 
And we just decide like, okay, let me give you one more example before we go. I'm a quote unquote Christian, but I'm living the gay lifestyle. I'm, I'm, I'm in a gay relationship. I'm, I'm not, I'm just saying this is an example. Okay. Um, you know, gay relationship, you know, doing something that's abomination to God. And I know it's wrong. I know the scripture says it's wrong, but I just keep doing it. Like I, I, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. No, you're not a Christian. Because if you are willing to have an open area of sin in your life that's unrepentant, and you're basically thumbing your nose at God and saying, well, even though you say it in the word, I'm not going to ask for the Holy Spirit to give me strength, and I'm not going to try to get healing and deliverance from this. I'm just going to keep walking in it. That's, an unforget- that's a sin that leads to death. It's not an unforgivable sin. It's a sin that leads to death because you're unrepentant. So in other words, as Christians, we've got every area of sin in our life, we've got to hate. Every area of sin in our life, we've got to be working on on getting out of it and asking the Holy Spirit for strength. We can't leave. This is why we talk about open doors. We can't leave the open door. So there's somebody listening right now. You're saying, Todd, this is this is tough. I never knew Christianity was this hard. Listen, we're, I'm saying what the word of God says here so that you can be set up for success. I didn't make the rules. But the deal is, and this, I, I have to hold myself to the same standard. And listen, I, I admitted before, it's very tough. Very tough. You know, I got to love, love my wife like Christ loves the church, according to the word of God. That's hard sometimes when you don't agree with something or whatever, you know? I mean, it, it's hard when somebody gets in my face and they're nasty and mean, and I got I to gotta love even my enemies. You know, I got to... I mean, there's certain things that are very difficult for me to do for temperament-wise in my human nature. But we have to understand that we, as a lover of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Christ, are dying to our flesh daily, and, and we are working on every area of open door and sin in our life, every one of them. And we are constantly getting better, peeling away layer after layer of our sinful nature and becoming more Christ-like until the day that we die. And that's when this favor of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord is on us. So the key is, is we have to have the desire to serve the Lord with all of our heart. And we're never going to attain perfection, but we're going we're to attain righteousness. We're going to be like David, a good repenter. God wants us to be a good repenter. He wants us to have hunger and thirst for righteousness. He wants us to lay down those areas of stubborn sin in our life. Does that make sense? Lay down the areas. It feels good to us. But we know that it doesn't please God. And so we're going to lay it down and stop it so that we can have God's favor and blessing on our life and we can be living in accordance to his will. And, and it'll bless him and it'll bless us. Hopefully that answers the question. It's very difficult for me to explain this today. So I hope I did it in a way that made sense to you. Uh, this is one of the harder topics that I've tried to explain from a theological standpoint. All right, guys, bless you. PastorTodd.org. Let me know what you think of the show. We love you in Jesus' name.